0: Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And we spent most of our time on these podcasts talking about state issues, some national issues, but not a lot on Phoenix issues, despite Phoenix being the fifth largest city, fifth most populous city in the country. So I'm excited today to talk about city politics with a uh, candidate for mayor, Moses Sanchez. Moses, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Billy. So you are... um, Running for mayor, uh, your family immigrated to the United States from Panama when you were younger. Um, you did a tour in Afghanistan. What years was that? Two
1: thousand and eleven. And what was your role in? Well, Afghanistan <laughs> was uh, that. That was that was a unique uh, experience for me. Um, when I was headed to Afghanistan, I was going to do detention operations. Uh, but the Army does things different than the Navy. So I've been in the Navy now 22 years. And the Navy is very compartmentalized. But the Army kind of moves you around depending on where they need you. Uh-huh. And when I got to Kuwait, uh, the Army found out that I had a language ability because I went to an Army language school in the 90s. And, uh, and upon finding that out and my ability to learn a language, I got transferred into a, a, an intelligence gathering unit called COIN, which huh. is counterinsurgency. And so I went to Afghanistan with a coin team uh, gathering intelligence through direct questioning of, of terrorists. So, and you had, so you learn Arabic? I had to learn Pashtun. Pashtun, so Pashtun is uh, the, 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 the dialect of the language of Afghanistan is Dari, which is okay. Persian Farsi. But because they're Sunni, they don't like to be called Persian Farsi, uh-huh. Sunni Shia d- debate. Um, so they call it Dari. But the dialect that most of the terrorists use in Afghanistan is Pashtun, which is just a dialect, an offset off of Dari. So I had to learn Pashtun and uh, use it and um, gather intelligence and create products for our commanders and, uh, and the chain of command.
0: Someone, personally, I'm not a polyglot, I know some Spanish, but that's, that's very impressive being able to learn uh, language so quickly. I mean, you're also a business owner. I am. And a teacher. You yes. teach at South Mountain Community college. How long you been teaching it? I've been teaching there for
1: almost a decade. It'll be a decade uh, in January that I've been teaching macro and microeconomics and uh, one of the highest rated teachers, professors in the county. Uh, (laughs) RateMyProfessor.com.
0: RateMyProfessor.com. So you're, you're running for mayor. How did you make that decision to run this year?
1: Well, the process, it wasn't like this was a lifelong dream of mine. I wasn't looking to get back into politics after my time on the school board. Uh, The mayor had announced he was resigning last October, and then I started getting phone calls. And I got phone calls from education advocates, leaders in our community, business influencers. And it was, hey, we really need somebody who will jump in there and represent what we need, what Phoenix families need, and we need an outsider. And the two candidates that had already jumped into the race were uh, City Hall insiders uh, with a terrible track record. And so I had to consider it. And after a couple of months of talking with my family, with my networks, and, and really just a lot of prayer, we came to the conclusion that it was, a, it was, it was something that we could do with a path to victory. And mm-hmm. the team came up with the, the path to victory and the strategy. And by December, we made that, uh, that decision, officially announced January 16th. And it's been
0: a roller coaster ride ever since. <laughs> yeah, so you have run before for a school board. That's good. I mentioned that in the city of Tempe, which splits. There's some schools in Phoenix, some schools in, uh, in Tempe in that district. Um, you're running as a Republican. Well, not as a Republican. It's a nonpartisan. It's a nonpartisan race. It is a nonpartisan uh, race in Phoenix. But you are a Republican. So talk I am. talk about that a little bit. Um, how does your even though it's a nonpartisan race? Um, city issues are, are less partisan in general than, um, That's correct. than other like, issues, but t- the, talk about your party affiliation.
1: The two most common questions I get asked when I'm canvassing, when I'm out there speaking to voters, um, the first one is, what party affiliation are you? And, uh, and I am a Republican. And so the second question is, am I a legal resident? My legal citizen. Are you serious? I'm serious, <laughs> and 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 it's true. I mean, it's the second most common question I get asked. Uh, is, uh, and, and there's a story to that. You know, when I came to the United States, uh, Ronald Reagan signed my visa and my my family's paperwork. And you know, the the, the values that Ronald Reagan inspired into my family hard work, strive for education, uh, faith, family values. Uh, those are the things that really developed our family here. Uh, in in America. And to this day, I always talk about how in my parents' living room, there's a picture of Jesus and beneath him, a picture of Ronald Reagan. And so I am a Republican and Ronald Reagan is uh, one of the reasons why we're here. Now, that being said, there's not really a Republican or a Democrat way to fix a pothole or address public safety. And you've heard me talk about these issues on the campaign trail ad nauseum.
0: And there, there is maybe sort of a political spectrum debate about something like budget, taxing, taxing and spending. Now let's just get right into that because uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and city city hall is meeting to talk about a funding strategy uh, proposal that might tax marijuana, uh, medical marijuana uh, growers and, and dispensaries, trying to fill the fill the gap in the budget. What's your perspective on that?
1: This isn't a new problem. I mean, the City Hall is now talking about a 25% tax on uh, our medical marijuana industry to help provide funding for public safety, uh, our first responders. I've been talking about this since we began. And this shortage of police officers and first responders is a real problem. And City Hall just hasn't addressed it. It hasn't been a priority. It just hasn't been a priority. Mm -hmm. For example, this last year... City Hall had a surplus, a budget surplus of $2.9 million. What did they do with that $2.9 million? Did they address the public safety concern that they now want to do with this uh, medical marijuana money? No. They spent less than 20% of that money, less than 20% of that money on first responders. They spent more than 20% of that money on trees. See, it's not, it's not just about resources. It's about priorities. And the, the medical marijuana industry just happens to be the loser um, to City Hall. City Hall likes to pick winners and losers mm-hmm. when it comes to tax breaks, incentives, or who they get taxed. Today, it's medical marijuana. Tomorrow, who knows who it'll be.
0: So you're, you're saying instead of picking who to tax... At, at a certain time to try to raise the revenue that you need, you would be more towards e- efficiency, not spending as much on trees well, uh, cutting back on some services or because this, this kind of ties into the um, you know the the historical debt that's been taken on based on uh, you know the pension adjustment that was made uh, I think a couple years ago. so there's been consistently, you know, Deficits and and debt, in general. How how would you approach that? Maybe in specifically, what sort of adjustments would you? Well, be I'm to make? I'm
1: not opposed to trees. Okay, <laughs> um, there's a lot of infrastructure issues, whether it's shade, whether it's uh, landscaping, sidewalks. Uh, there's a lot of these things that we can address with things like I promote community benefit agreements. This is something that I've been talking about since the very beginning of our campaign. These are best practices that other cities across the country use uh, to provide shade, public-private partnerships. We call them in our campaign social impact partnerships where you, you bring in private industries to help. You see adopt the street programs uh, throughout the state, throughout the city. You can have an adopt a tree program or how about adopt a bus stop program. You can get really creative without having to spend 20% of your surplus on shade, on trees, and instead you can use that money for public safety. Those are specific dollars that you can use. So on
0: some of those, some of those smaller things, you're saying maybe we should try to get private partners, public par- partnerships, to take over some of that slack, so that you can spend the bulk of your. Uh, That's one
1: example. Okay. That's one small example, but you're talking about $3 million right. there. That's a lot of money that we could be using for a lot of these uh, very important issues that now City Hall wants to tax the medical, medical yeah. marijuana industry to address. Uh, you know, coming back from Afghanistan, going through the reintegration process, all of us veterans who go to war, uh, we all have our challenges coming back. And uh, some of them uh, face severe PTSD. Um, And I know a lot of these veterans And the medical marijuana industry addresses some of the issues that veterans and first responders as well um, with regards to to PTSD. Um, Why is the city picking on the medical marijuana industry? This is going to hurt a lot of our first responders. It's going to hurt veterans coming back.
0: Do you think it's just an expedient way to make money to say hey, these guys are, are making money off drugs, let's, let's tax it I and, and get money from it. I seriously have <laughs> no idea what City Hall
1: is doing some of this stuff. I mean, look, look. We, we're talking about budgets, right? Look at the Sheraton situation. The Sheraton Hotel. I mean, we, we've talked about it, what a disaster of a situation that was. And in the end, they give the new developer $97 million of tax breaks over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This is the craziest part is they don't call it a, uh, a loss because well we weren't paying property taxes on it anyways because the city owned it that's 97 million dollars there's another big example of that's that's those are dollars that we could be using uh, for our first responders for for basic core services
0: are there any revenue increasing measures that that you can see or support or is your um, strategy if you become mayor more Effic- i'm not efficiency. looking to increase
1: revenues or, or layman's terms raise <laughs> <Recess>. taxes okay <laughs> i'm a, i'm i'm not looking to do that at all because there's so many efficiencies or inefficiencies that we can address and 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 you see them when you, the recycling program that the marketing budget that they had that there's another uh, three million dollars right there uh i mean there's just there's dollars being wasted uh all over the place and, and we hear about it but nobody's doing anything about it instead it's just business as usual and and it's a serious problem.
0: Another question I've, I've watched a couple debates I watched the 12 News debate uh, and I went to a, a multicultural uh, debate and one of the <laughs> one of the issues that was brought up there that I thought was interesting was about economic development for a city Phoenix is the fifth most populous city um, and I think it I just read an article in The Economist the other day about how Silicon Valley is becoming less favorable to startups because it's so expensive there. So if you're going to start a tech company, the next, you know, the next big thing, the next whatever, it's probably not going to start there. So, so what other cities are going to are going to are going to pick that up? And and you in the in the debate talked about how Chandler right now is is gathering more of those, uh, I don't know, tech tech hub sort of mentality. Why do you think that is, and what could Phoenix do? Um, to draw more of that talent? Well, here. I think
1: just Chandler is, is bringing some outside folks in uh, who are who are reaching out. They're going outside the city, outside the state, looking for these businesses. They're going outside the country, uh, and they're attracting – I mean, they're, they're the fastest-growing Asian community. Why is the small, little, tiny town of Chandler, which I, I, I'm I a neighbor to. I live in Awatuki. I live right across the street from it. The, the things that they're doing it, it, more advanced – they're they're forward thinking they're 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 looking at their communities look at their schools look at their infrastructure projects look at they're not using community benefit agreements but they're using a similar model to it they're more focused on local core services their police their fire their streets their roads their their public schools and when you do that you get these vibrant communities, vibrant neighborhoods, and that's what, eco- that's what drives economic development, not tax breaks. You know, at that debate, the same debate I talked mm-hmm. about, how we have doctors here in the city of Phoenix who are graduating post-secondary, postgraduate school, and 80% of them are leaving, not just right. the city, they're leaving the state. And they're going to other places like Nashville or Austin. My students at the college, when you ask them, what would it take for you to stay in Phoenix? More than half of them say, there's nothing you can do. I'd rather go to Seattle, Portland, Austin, again, keeps coming up, Nashville, places that have vibrant neighborhoods, vibrant communities. It's, it's almost like downtown and City Hall uh, have forgotten that, that the city is much bigger than just that little tiny hub down there, yeah. that there's, there's 15 urban villages and we've ignored 14 of them.
0: And that's one thing I tell people you know, that are coming to visit or thinking about visit that you know, it is not... It's not like a lot of other cities. There's almost like four or five different cities, and it's like, is, is Ahwatukee, is that Phoenix, is Tempe? Every, everything's got a, a different personality, sort of, a different...
1: Uh, different culture, different, different economy, different group, different society.
0: And your your theme is, seems to be brilliant at the basics. I imagine this is another example of that. And you, you see that um, kind of the same theme of develop partnerships for the for kind of for the bells and whistles that you want to do. And then just really uh, shore up things like police, things like uh, things like fire,
1: public safety. Yeah. I mean, you talk about officer involved shootings. That was another topic that came out <clears throat> at that event. You know, I I, I I look at our police force and public safety, and we don't have this huge crime wave coming in. But let's say in the future it happens. Now we're being reactive again, which is what's. Phoenix has really been really good at. We've been reactive. We mm-hmm. haven't been proactive in a long time. I mean, we're understaffed, undersupported, 10-year highs in homicide. The average response time continues to grow. You look at my community of Awatuki, since this is a local podcast, right? Awatuki has 100,000 people in it. We have five police patrols in Awatuki. Two of those police patrols are stationed on the north side of South Mountain, which isn't Awatuki. So really, we have three police patrols for a community of 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's insane to think that, that you know, you see one fender bender during a rainy day like today, and there's a crime being committed somewhere, and it's going to take them an hour to get to you. Right.
0: And your approach, going back to the question about police uh, police shootings, your, your approach seemed to be different than maybe other Republicans. Uh, I'm not sure what... Um, I had not heard this from other Republicans, about the need for community policing, developing relationships, uh, community review boards. Yeah. Talk about uh, well, talk about that a little bit. Why do you think those I, are the best solutions? And it seems to also kind of fit into your overall vision of what the city could be. A lot
1: of the things that we've come up with for our campaign, a lot of the solutions are what we call best practices. Again, this is just a business approach. Uh, it, it, we've seen it work in other cities, other, other, other communities across the country. And one of the best practices, is uh this community-based policing when a police officer steps out of his or her vehicle uh, he should be able to know the community that he's patrolling him him or her he or she and they should know and recognize who he or she is uh, you don't have that right now right now you have what's called a drive-by patrolling because of the shortage of police officers so you have one police officer driving by checking out the basketball courts or Mm -hmm. or the parks instead of actually getting out hey how's it going johnny hey how's it going today what how's your family how's your father you can't have that because of the police shortage we have so you need to properly man our police force so they can do community-based policing and then they'll be they'll develop that trust Uh um the community review boards are something that was brought up uh among among other cities uh and it was an idea that we developed that we've that we've that we gathered. Um, and when you have these officer-involved shootings, who's actually reviewing the incident and the case? And it, by having members of the community on that board and not just law enforcement mm-hmm. officials, uh, <clears throat> you might get come to a different conclusion. And, it, and probably and
0: it, increase the trust, exactly, the trust the community as well. Exactly. It brings the well, community back that, into the picture, mm-hmm. and
1: now they're part of it as opposed to being dictated
0: uh, by City Hall. And part of that will require more policing that you that you've talked about, more police there, so they can spend more time getting to know their community versus just doing the drive bys. But you've also, I think it's just up on your website too, talk about efficiencies within yes. the policing.
1: Uh, yeah, it's on my website uh, under our issues. We we've detailed what we call smart solutions, another business acronym: specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely solutions to the problems we face. They're not unrealistic solutions uh community-based policing and improved booking efficiency often when a police officer does have to take someone into the precinct they're spending half the day doing paperwork if we invest in in systems that allow us to improve our booking efficiency they can spend less time at the precinct and more time on the streets doing what they do best
0: going back to um I want to circle back a little bit you talked about going back to vibrant communities and the and the and the and the neighborhoods that you want to develop will that spring naturally do you think from uh, safer communities from from doing those basics well or are there any proactive things that you, that you would encourage or or support directly about? you know, increasing involvement in the community and, and activities in, in different places, well, libraries. Th- this was
1: something that we that we actually saw take place in Apache Junction. There was a neighborhood in Apache Junction where all the houses were run down. Uh, the neighborhood was not great. It was actually a dirt road on that street. Uh, and, and, you know, it wasn't exactly a place you wanted to move to. And so what the town did is they actually paved the street and added nice sidewalks to this rundown community. And what you saw was naturally the neighborhood, This the, the homeowners started fixing up their houses because it, it, they, they wanted to mirror what, what the community should look like. And this vibrant community- It's like
0: taking more pride in the neighborhood. Absolutely.
1: And so yes, my, my focus is being brilliant on the basics. And what we found was the 10-year the, the vision for us and our team and our campaign is this world-class city. With an identity. We find often that people don't have an they don't have this this, this identity associated with Phoenix. It's just right. a transitional right. place. So how do we make it a world class city? Well, all world class cities have these very unique, different neighborhoods, but these neighborhoods are vibrant. So we thought we have 15 urban villages. How do we make them all vibrant? What do they all have in common with City Hall? And all of our 15 urban villages have three things in common with City Hall: Phoenix Police and Fire infrastructure, which is your streets, your roads, and quality of life issues, like your parks, your your pools, your libraries, and homelessness. And if we just focus on fixing those things, what City Hall can actually do, the neighborhoods will flourish, and they will become vibrant, and you'll see more things like you see on uh, First Friday at Roosevelt right, Row. Right,
0: right. Well, let's talk about homelessness. they one of the points of pride in phoenix uh the last few years has been the development of downtown it is uh it is walkable it is uh you know there are then you know the arts district is down there um but we <clears throat> partly because of uh the centrally located services down at down at cast the shelter uh there is a lot of homelessness and um every city has homelessness but i think it's it's something that's that's visible it's uh you know, it's heartbreaking to see it. And sometimes I think people walk by and they don't, they don't know what to do. It makes them uncomfortable. Um, we want to, everyone wants to help people, but they don't necessarily want to have that help be in their backyard. So um, what can, what what would you do as, as mayor uh, to address uh, kind of a chronic issue that we've got? Well, I appreciate this format
1: because I can elaborate more on our <laughs> ideas. And we have them listed again on our website. Because this was a very, there wasn't a silver bullet solution to this. Mm. No major city across America has figured this out. But we found a couple of cities that have addressed it well. One of them was Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we had a a great relationship with uh, the former mayor there. His name is R.J. Berry. And we came up with some ideas that uh, he passed on to us many months ago. And we've just kind of formulated our plan from there. Um, a lot of our plans also came from touring these sites when we toured Andre's house, when we toured Circle the City or Phoenix Rescue Missions, which are just some incredible organization, nonprofit organizations here in the valley that handle homelessness in different approaches. Some of them are outpatient, some of them are inpatient, some of them are just house of hospitality, like Andre's house. Mm-hmm. They, they all had this ongoing theme where the city has these barriers, and these hurdles that they have to jump through in order for them to do their job. It's almost like they're over-regulated, which is the opposite of many of our developers. Many of our developers who who donate max checks to our city council members, they're almost under-regulated. I mean, they get permits in two weeks, right? Meanwhile, the nonprofit organizations that take care of the most in need are are over-regulated. And when you ask them why does City Hall push back so hard on your ability to increase your capacity, for example? Because some of them can have a 25% increase in capacity without adding any new buildings. Uh-huh. They'll say because City Hall has told them, city council members have told them that they don't want to increase homelessness here. And so the, in the the idea behind our plan was how do we cut some of the regulations, some of the red tape? Uh, and then we found that there wasn't really a center hub for a lot of these nonprofits to go to like a chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've had plans in the past that just never came to fruition. Mean so some
0: that some that advocates for, for them. In the city. This is a
1: good place for you to go to get, you know, a lot of the homeless, a lot of the, the nonprofit organizations, sometimes they overlap in what they do right. and sometimes they don't. And when they don't they should be able to know who to send that person to. Right. Uh, and so we created what we call the First Step Phoenix Initiative, and the idea behind the First Step Phoenix Initiative is is a place where we can promote the home, uh, the nonprofit organizations of our valley. Uh, we can also encourage giving to charities, work hand in hand with these nonprofits, and 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 seek ways where where we can cut some of that uh, the red tape and help them and assist them.
0: Yeah, and you've you've talked uh, the. Uh, at the forum about a two-step solution. One is limiting those regulations and allowing more shelters to let people in um, without any barriers. I think yep. a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the things that are keeping people homeless, like felonies, like uh, so different things, keep them from even getting into the shelter.
1: If you're, if you some shelters, uh, if you smell like alcohol, you can't come in right? There's different barriers for different shelters. But Phoenix is one of the few cities across the country that has no zero barrier shelters. And some of our shelters, some of the house of hospitalities would like to drop down a barrier. It doesn't have to be necessarily zero barrier, but how about a low barrier shelter? So if you have a dog right now, you have to go to a specific place because not all shelters can handle you. That's really, I mean...
0: And I've I've worked, uh, I used to work at a housing program. So I worked pretty closely with some homeless people during that. And there's a concern with safety sometimes of like, if, if there is no barriers, maybe we're concerned about drug abuse or safety in there. But at the same time, there's a great need for just somewhere to go where anyone can go there. That's just, that's just a safe place to lay your head. It's not, it doesn't
1: The city doesn't have to fix homelessness. There are great organizations that are that, and, and you should see some of the results of some of these organizations. They're getting people off the streets and in their, their own apartments, mm-hmm. into their own homes. They're getting them, you know, drug-free, alcohol-free. They're doing some great and work. And that
0: would be part of the second, the the, long, the longer-term That's step, some, yes. which would be preventative. Exactly.
1: Uh, so our first step is lower the regulations, increase the capacity that they have, lower some of the barriers that they have, increase capacity. The longer-term plan is to implement this initiative that allows us to promote them. We also want to crack down on... on Professional panhandlers. Um, it's it's our way of looking at this as a holistic approach uh, to addressing a problem, but it's it's a serious problem. It's not being addressed, and the worst part is it has spiked. It has spiked in recent years, and again, here we are being reactive.
0: Well, you say it's not been addressed. There has to have been something that they were doing, right? I mean, what what has been done? Their
1: solution to the problem is throw more money at it, is we need to rally the governor to spend more money. Sure, the, the state of Arizona does not spend enough money in, in Phoenix homelessness problem. The city of Phoenix spends a lot of money on it. But that's not a solution. That's not the only solution. Go to the experts. And that's what we did. We went to the experts at this, and we said— what can we do? They didn't say we need more money. They said, we need you to remove the handcuffs off of us. Right. You need to let us, let us do what we do best.
0: A couple quick things before we uh, look to wrap it up. Uh, stadiums was a, was a question oh, yeah. on, uh, on the debate, and it, a couple of people didn't give a clear answer. I don't think you even gave a totally clear answer. Do you support uh, public funding for sports stadiums?
1: Here's my position on... The Phoenix Suns, which is the arena that everyone's talking about. Uh, And again, I didn't get a chance to elaborate. Mm -hmm. I have elaborated in other public forums, Mm -hmm. just for the record. Um, What the media likes to do is they try to pigeonhole you into option A, Mm -hmm. which is uh, we're going to fund them with public dollars. Or option B, they're going to leave. You're okay with them leaving. Mm -hmm. As a business owner, we don't like being stuck between option A or B. We like option C, option D, option E. Here's an option and something that I would be an advocate for. How about we sell the arena to the Suns? We make them an offer they can't refuse. By selling them the arena, not only do they now have skin in the game, now they own the place. They're less likely to leave. Now they're paying property taxes on it Right? And we could even use a community benefits agreement. So when they buy it, they have to add trees. They have to increase public safety. <laughs>
0: yeah. They have sponsor to sponsor some
1: I mean, we can get really ups. creative with this. But I don't think the city of Phoenix should be in the arena business.
0: Have other cities, or do you know any examples of other cities that, or other teams that have bought their own stadiums and that that's been successful
1: i can't think of it off the top of my head i believe our team does have uh, at least one example of where uh, a similar system i want to say it was in texas where it was i don't remember off the top can, of my head we can um, fact check um, but yeah later. yeah it, I, but i'm I've, almost certain that it has happened might have been houston i'm not certain which happens to be the fourth largest city uh-huh. and they're excelling <laughs> as well but the but the really The idea behind my plan is to get us out of the arena industry. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be in the arena industry. We shouldn't be in the hotel industry. We should be focused on those basic core services. No, I'm not a general supporter of public dollars going into uh, stadiums. I don't like public dollars or public incentives going to big developers, millionaires. I mean, when you give these tax breaks and tax incentives to these millionaires and these big developers like the city has been doing, you rob uh, public dollars to public schools. And you know, education has been my background. It's my bailiwick, mm-hmm. and it's something that frustrates me.
0: And I agree, I agree with that on principle, but as a sports fan, I have to say that I'm, I'm kind of glad that, that Calangelo got public dollars for the Suns. But I, but I tend to, I think,
1: um, I don't want them to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want them to leave. But I bet you we could make them an offer right, that right.
0: would be really challenging for them to refuse. Uh, light rail. Very controversial lately, the the expansion. I think they just approved uh, the expansion, but there has been some people that don't like that in South Phoenix, uh, specifically business owners that own property there. Uh, you sent some tweets out that said that you disagree with the expansion. Could you just just clarify what was your stance on that, and and who are you kind of the whole to- light
1: rail. The debacle has been uh, one of those core frustrations of my campaign. It's one of the reasons why I'm running is this, that folks outside of downtown, outside of City Hall, feel like they lack access and that City Hall lacks transparency. Um, The folks of South Phoenix were misled. They were under the impression from the very beginning that Light Rail was gonna double their bus routes, going to bring in the latest and greatest buses with Wi-Fi and great air conditioning, that they were going to have the best shade and best bus stops. And when light rail came, they'd have four lanes. Well, that's not what happened. What ended up happening was uh, they, they got a plan. They didn't like the plan. When they asked their leaders for clarification, their leaders never showed up. And they wouldn't show up. And they refused to show up. And then when they asked for clarification... The city decides to spend more money on a consultant to come down and explain to the people of South Phoenix why two lanes is better than four lanes.
0: Is that just a lack of communication? Uh, I can tell
1: you what exactly what it is. It's lack of access. See, the people of South Phoenix and the business owners on Central that are going to be destroyed because of this haven't given max checks to city council members. I mean, you have to understand that everywhere else where we've expanded light rail, in the city of Phoenix, very specific, we've expanded it with four lanes, except for South Phoenix. South Phoenix also happens to be the lowest voter turnout community of the city of Phoenix, and they're not giving any max checks to their city council So it is
0: for even all the way in Mesa and and Tempe? Mesa
1: is a different situation, but I'm talking about the city of Phoenix. In the city of Phoenix, wherever we've expanded it, Okay, different story in Mesa, but in the city of Phoenix, we've expanded it at four lanes, except for South Phoenix.
0: I think they're feeling some a little bit of pressure because there's some federal dollars. Uh, I understand it ti- time expedient. So uh, I, I get that. Um, I get that. But you know, what, just
1: because you made the mistake and mm-hmm. didn't care what people thought, uh, how how is that? I mean, you're still going to change the entire outlook of what central what central looks like south of Washington. So, so, so
0: now I, that we're here, though. You know, let's say, let's say you get elected mayor um, and this, they're, they're trying to maybe gather signatures to get it off. Now that we're here, uh, what do you do? I agree yes. with
1: putting a time out on this, stopping it where it is. Okay. I mean, you're talking about, see, this is, again, we go back to that, where's the money at? Mm-hmm. When you count, go to the City of Phoenix website and you look at how much we're spending, we're, we're raising on this. The taxes that we're going to raise over the next 35 years It comes to roughly, just for the light rail, just for the light rail, about $150 million a year for 35 years. Do you know what I could do? If you had this ability to just offer it to the city of Phoenix, we have $135 million a year raised in tax revenues for the next 35 years. Would you like to expand light rail down south uh, on central, or would you like to Have the best public safety record. Or pay off off some of that pension pension debt. debt. You know, I mean, we can go, we can make it, we can have the best infrastructure, basic core services ever. Or, here's the best way to equate it. Equate the city of Phoenix like your house. And your house is falling apart. Do you go out and invest in a new Tesla? Or do you invest in the infrastructure of your house?
0: I think that might be the first time that the light rail has been compared to a Tesla. But, uh, but, uh, fine. Right. Maybe more, (laughs) maybe more like
1: an entertainment system. A great enter. Why are we arguing with the over the type of flat screen TV we're going to have in this dilapidated house when we should be fixing the plumbing? And
0: I do think as someone who works in South Phoenix, uh, it's kind of difficult to get there. I think, uh, you know, geographically it feels segregated. It's just, is harder to get out there. So I, I'm all for uh, increasing transportation efficiency uh, over there. Uh, but I think uh, taking these, uh, all the concerns, all the stakeholders in, into consideration and, and figuring out a solution, uh, definitely need some leadership there. Final question. You teach economics, I micro do. and macro? Micro and macro. What are some of your favorite topics? Uh or areas to get into in those in oh your man
1: i love subgroups i am all about the subgroups and i've been talking about subgroups for decades for i mean even when i was when i was on a school board when i ran for school board i talked about closing the achievement gap uh-huh. these are things nobody talks about nobody talks about the black achievement gap the hispanic achievement gap the native american achievement gap i do the same thing in my class in my class when we talk about how the economy is roaring, mm-hmm. how unemployment is, a, is at a low, I take it further. I look at the black unemployment rate. You have to understand at South Mountain Community College, the majority of my students are minorities. Mm-hmm. And we try to make everything applicable to their world. So when we talk about unemployment numbers, when the president talks about how black unemployment is at an all-time low, he's right. Nationally, in the city of Phoenix, we're having an opposite trend where black unemployment has spiked poverty has spiked among the black community. Hispanic community is even worse. So I like to get into the subgroups whenever we talk economics.
0: So it's um, kind of like applying the theories to the, the situation that they see in front of them. seems like you're more, uh, it seems to me as teaching economics, you can either go at a math heavy approach or more of a human to I try uh, to make it applicable. Human, human yes. applicable I, I do
1: too, the other thing I always ask my students is to put on two caps. In my class, no matter what we do, no matter what theories we're talking about, Uh, Whether macro or micro, you're going to wear two hats in this class. One hat is really easy for you to understand. It's the consumer ball cap. Mm -hmm. You've lived it. You've lived your entire life as a consumer. Now, I want you to put your producer cap on. And it just makes you think a little different about everything, whether it's minimum wage, whether it's uh, uh, benefits, whether it's entitlements or social safety nets, it makes you think
0: very different about and things. And then put the government hat on, maybe. <laughs> we never put uh, the government hat on. <laughs> uh, Although well, we probably should. That's an interesting <laughs> one, right? Well, Mo's where, we, where can we find you? If someone wants to uh, read more about what you're... Uh, what your plans are, or find out what you're saying, where do we go to visit? My website's
1: the best place to go. It's MosesSanchez.com. I'm very active on all the social media platforms. My small business happens to be a digital marketing company (laughs) that specializes in social media marketing. So I'm on everything from Twitter to to Instagram, to Facebook, to Snapchat, to Tumblr. So I mean... And what's
0: your handle on those?
1: uh, My Twitter handle is Sanchez Moses. I always ask people, especially young people, what's your favorite platform to use? For me, it's Twitter. So I'm on Twitter often, and you can find me on Facebook at Moses Sanchez for Mayor of Phoenix.
0: Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to to have you Enjoyed the conversation. Uh, You can listen to the Political Notebook podcast on any podcast app, uh, including iTunes. So subscribe and listen, and thank you very much for tuning in.